On the Empire Podcast this week, there's the usual movie news and nonsense, of course. Plus, we talk to rising sensation Ansel Elgort, the young star of The Fault in Our Stars. And John Favreau, the director, writer and star of Chef, pops in to make a cake of chat with a frothy conversation foam, a light banter reduction and a lol twill. Oh, and fricasset onions as well. Podcasting doesn't get any tougher than this. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the Empire Podcast. As ever, I'm joined by three of my lovely and learned colleagues. First up... There's our house guru, Phil DeSemlin, who's a bit of a whiz in the movie kitchen. He's been on to rustle up a clockwork duck orange with a wild strawberry shoe topped off by 35 shots of rum, which is a movie whose existence I only knew about because I googled food movies. What? Yeah. Hi. Uh, next up, there's geek queen and supernatural superfan, Helen O'Hara, who loves a bit of Sam, 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 egg beans, Sam, Sam, chips, Sam, Sam, bacon and Sam with Dean's on toast. Oh, good lord. Last but not least is Jurassic Park nut Nick DeSemlian, who loves a bit of Chilean sea bass with a side order of raw Gennaro. Only weeks ago I was talking about Chilean sea bass with Sam Neill in this very room, so that's very exciting. But that will be broadcast <laughs> way after this, so that's, that's confusing. Now, you've been sending questions all week via Facebook, Twitter, email, uh, carrying a pigeon, however you like it, they've arrived to us. Here's one from Richard Sternberg uh, via Facebook. It's a long one, so bear with me. Chris Pratt brackets her Lego movie Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy close brackets is next in a line of actors whose stock quickly rises before at some point petering out like a wave on the shore not our opinion which is Sternberg's opinion before him was Sam Worthington in 2009 open brackets Avatar Terminator Salvation and Clash of the Titans close brackets hell there was even Gerard Butler and before him Clive Owen who one year was a canine's testicles and then kind of forgotten about here's the question which other actors have had similar busy schedules in a very short time before Hollywood lost interest in in them. First of all, let's defend Chris Pratt. Yeah, who says Hollywood's losing interest in him? Um, he's been, you know, I mean, her, for example, is actually quite a small role, and he's been doing small roles in movies for a very long time. He's been generally a very good small role in, well, sometimes bad movies, but he's generally been good in them, so that doesn't count. Lego movie, it's a voice, you know, that doesn't count. And, and he's Jurassic, great. Yeah, and Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy, we haven't seen yet, so it seems awfully presumptuous to assume that his stock is going to peter out suddenly as a result of those. Especially since he signed off for sequels in both those cases and, uh, you know, from what we've seen in Guardians of the Galaxy, he seems to be bringing it and yeah. certainly from that picture of him on the motorbike in Jurassic World, Helen, I think you and I both had to take a moment out to, to compose ourselves after that. Yeah. He <laughs> is, I think, the real deal in many ways, Chris Pratt. I think uh, lumping him in with Sam Worthington, uh, who admittedly has three Avatar sequels on the, on the way, uh, so it's not like he's been forgotten about. He's mm. uh, still very much in James Cameron Rolodex. Jared Butler, again, here's a man who's still getting movies made and still, you know, doing okay at the box office. Uh, Clive Owen, yeah, fair enough. But he's doing a TV series. He is doing a TV uh, series with Soderberg. Soderberg. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, some of these guys, you know, they they intentionally kind of step away from the big movies. I, I feel like, you know, I feel like Clive Owen has not necessarily gone after big starring roles and has wanted to do something different. Yeah. Um, and I feel like, you know, some of the choices Jared Butler's made has have clearly been in an attempt to do the same kind of thing. I mean, playing for keeps may not have turned out to be a good movie, but on paper you could see why that would look like a really interesting choice. And, and many of his movies are the same kind of thing. So, I don't know, I feel like we're being a little bit unfair here, actually. I think that uh, all of these guys are still there in the ether and yeah. could at any moment have another big hit. Talking about any moment, Josh Hartnett seemed to have fallen off the radar and yeah. now he's popped back in Penny Dreadful and is actually really good in it. Yeah, I really like him in that that's a, that's a good so fun show so it's never too late for someone to mm. mount a glorious comeback Josh Hartnett uh, has claimed in interviews recently that he was so hot at one point that he turned down Spider-Man Superman and Batman 
And he also apparently turned down Chinny Reckon and uh, Jimmy Hill as well. Jimmy Reckon? <laughs> yeah. Did you say Jimmy Reckon? Chinny Reckon. Chinny Reckon. And, and Dickie Davis. Um, he, he, was, he was definitely rumoured for Superman and Batman at that point. He when was they were going to do that Superman versus Batman you know, thing ages ago. He could have played both roles. He could have played either yeah. role. I'm, I'm reading now that he was named hottest vegetarian alive in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> that is an actual fact. Wow. Okay. He may have voted. I'm not sure who. It doesn't make that clear. That's amazing. That's amazing. Anyone Brendan else? Fraser. Brendan Fraser, yeah. He was, he was so hot. He is genuinely great in The Mummy. I will defend him in The Mummy mm-hmm. until the day I die. I think he's fantastic. And he's very good in stuff like Gods and Monsters as well. Mm. I, I think he's just a, an eccentric who just makes his own decisions and sometimes they don't you know, make sense from a seeking stardom point of view. But... I like him a lot. He's also good in George of the Jungle. He's great in George of the Jungle. He's you know, I, I won't accept anyone else in that role. No. Uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who's playing George <laughs> in, in this new big budget version, just isn't going to cut it for me. I think uh, uh, furry vengeance may have may have destroyed him. Yeah, that wasn't that wasn't his best. Role. That's a film in which a raccoon. He's on a treadmill and a raccoon uh, messes with the controls, so it goes super fast. Was it, it Rocket? Yes. <laughs> Crossover. Isn't, isn't there a great fart gag in the trailer? There's a great fart gag in the trailer for that that made me think, oh, this actually might not be that bad. And then I saw the rest of the trailer and <laughs> decided, no, it, w- it would be. It would be great dreadful. fart gag. Great fart gag. If you know any great fart gags, readers, listeners, uh, do, do send them in to us. Uh, hashtag fart gag. Yeah, that's a, that's a good, good call, actually. He, he reminds me, actually, in The Mummy, because he has this sort of ironic detachment but also he can do all the, the macho action stuff. Yeah. I think Chris Pratt is is uh, built along similar lines. Yeah. But Chris Pratt as well, you know, he was, he was very good in a small role in Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, he's brilliant in Parks and Recreation if you haven't already seen it. So I think he's a real deal. I think Richard Sternberg, you're being very harsh. I think there's some people, that some actors that, that got big roles and just not, for their own personal reasons kind of rub people up the wrong way. Edward Furlong, Shia LaBeouf seems to be going through that phase at the moment and have kind of torpedoed themselves slightly in their careers. They could still bounce back. I mean, Hollywood has a bit of a bipolar relationship with those sorts of people. What Maybe. all you need to do is look at Robert Downey Jr. Downey Jr. is a great example of someone that was, you know, has had a two-phase kind of ascendancy. His star has gone up and down. I think Downey Jr. above some of these actors has a lot more fizz and a lot more range, probably. I think Sam Worthington is, you know, he's good as far as he goes, but there is a limit to his his capacities as an actor I would say so far anyway yeah Shia LaBeouf is a very interesting one will he be back I'm not sure I love the way you said that (laughs) (laughs) do that again now think about that he was he was kind of Spielberg's golden child wasn't he and he was Spielberg was his mentor and got him into a series of big roles and Mm. I feel like the people who were maybe supporting him have backed off a little bit yeah, Ted Okichi had uh, he was good in Lone Survivor. I thought Peter Berg believes in him clearly, and he's good. Apparently, I haven't seen it, but in the normal heart, that Ryan Murphy uh, HBO movie with Mark Ruffalo uh, coming out, uh, which should be in this country sometime this year. But you know, we've been talking about blokes. It's a bit of a sausage fest at the moment. I want to throw a couple of ladies in there. I think Catherine Hegel is, uh, or Hegel or Hegley, is someone to be uh, considered in this list. And even though she probably won't care about it because she's quite rich and successful in other areas. After Out of Sight, J-Lo was massively huge and you know, he just felt mm. that there was a great movie career waiting for her and people may laugh at that now and they look back at it but she's great in that film. Really sexy and really, really just good, good, you know, just solid and, um, you know, her movie career has largely been a, a series of clunkers after that. You can think of anyone else, do let us know on the uh, on the Twitter feed that we have, uh, which is at Empire Magazine. Speaking of, of Twitter, here's a question from at Champ Celluloid who asks, with Colin Firth leaving the movie, which actor should voice hashtag creepy Paddington? To fill you in on this, Colin Firth was the voice of Paddington in Paddington the movie. 
Paddington Bear, of course. Uh, and this week, he announced that he was leaving the project with only a few months to go until its release, saying that he he realised over the course of production that sadly his voice was incompatible with the bears. If you don't know what Creepy Paddington is, it is a meme that has been sweeping uh, Twitter and the internet over the last week or so. Uh, when the first trailer for Paddington arrived, certain people thought that Paddington looked a little bit creepy in it. I personally disagree, but there you go. And they, they took him, uh, they took a, a shot of him from the trailer and inserted him into horror movies and other things and the hashtag became Creepy Paddington and it became such a big thing that uh, there were lots of news stories on it on different websites and whatnot and it's become a huge phenomenon. I don't think that was related necessarily to Colin Firth leaving the role. But Colin Firth has left the movie, so which actor should voice the bear? Well, the, the implication I sort of took from, from the statements when he left was that they felt he, or he felt, and they felt that he was maybe a little bit sort of old and mature for the bear because Paddington's meant to be kind of young and a little bit childlike um, and sort of causing all this havoc in a rather innocent manner. So I feel like maybe that we need to be looking kind of younger British actors who are early 20s or younger, I would have thought. Mm. I think this is um, shocking because this is barest. There are great young bear <laughs> actors out there who are just dying to get into voice acting yeah, and they're being yeah. overlooked. That's true. Are you talking about Boo Boo? I am talking about oh, Boo Boo. You know, what happened to the offspring of Bart the Bear, uh, famous for The Edge? You know, where's he? Brother he Bear, what's he been Bro- doing since? Absolutely. Yeah. Crazy. Crack. <laughs> He's been doing crack. Um, Who's the bear in um, Bjorn? Maybe Bjorn could do it. Maybe he could. Maybe from, he's from, a Scandinavian from bear. From The Hobbit. Yeah. But he, assu- he was a little bit bigger and again more more adult and threatening I would have said assuming of course that they go down the human route well there's well. the obvious jokes or answers the um, Robert England ghost face from Scream somebody did suggest Martin Freeman which he's got a nice voice hasn't he He's got a mm. lovely voice Martin I don't really Freeman. know Phil is the Paddington Bear expert in the room so Phil, why don't you Phil, fill us in on his sort of what kind of sound he should have because I don't know much about him well he's from Peru so I think he should have a a sort of hammy Latin American accent <laughs> like Johnny Tatum in the beginning of 22 Jump Street yes exactly I haven't seen 22 Jump Street but I've heard Paddington <laughs> hello I'm Paddington I have arrived from South America with a silly accent take me to your house wow are we that's using- the sort of dialogue you'll be hearing in this movie I think we just declared war in Peru by the way I apologise to all no but no disrespect to Peru because this is a this is a proper bear and I think what they've been trying to what they've been trying to go for with this film and, and is the fact that this is a proper bear they're not doing the cuddly, cutesy, cut-out animation that's known and loved. They're doing a bear out of place in London. And, it, and a bespectacled bear from Peru, which is what Paddington is. Or as Reese Shearsmith described him on Twitter last night, a fox in a hat. <laughs> he's going to sound... I assume he's going to sound English. I think you should do it. You think I should do it? Mm. Really? Yeah. Okay. I'm up for it. I yeah. will do it if they need me. But Say something about marmalade. I like marmalade very much. <laughs> there you got, go, just loop that in, you've got a film. <laughs> you've got the job. Marmalade, do you have marmalade on you? Who's got marmalade? You got marmalade? <laughs> Give me marmalade, you bastard. Listen, I'll listen. kill you. <laughs> I will destroy you all unless I get my marmalade. No. <laughs> yes, that's marmalade I've smeared all over my... I don't... I don't know is the answer. I like Helen's idea, younger, younger. younger I was thinking maybe like Thomas Brody Sangster. Yeah. Maybe, or I was thinking Freddie Highmore initially, but he's obviously off being Norman Bates right now, so that might not help the whole creepy thing. <laughs> Max Irons. <laughs> yeah. We've yeah. cast Paddington. It's Norman Bates, everybody. That'll help that meme. Oh my God. Yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch doing his Schmaug voice. That would be interesting. 
No, he's got too much kind of, you know, reverb in there. I think uh, Hiddleston would be a little bit too, too. No, again, too big a voice. Peg. Huh. F- warm, yeah. friendly voice. Likeable. Likeable voice. It, it's got to be someone that's, it's got that kind of um, innocence, right? Innocence has got to be the key. Criteria. He's just kind of cuddly and he doesn't really know what's going on and he's experimenting. We've seen it in the trailer with everything. I think Powers, everything. Powers most booth. Things. <laughs> <laughs> you have an obsession with Powers Booth at the moment that will land you in trouble. Okay, well, let's let's move on. Danny Dyer. I think you just described Danny Dyer. Let's move on. He's 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 cuddly. He's innocent. He doesn't know what he's doing. He gets into people's toilets. <laughs> it's it's an interesting idea. So I'm just putting it out there, Danny Dyer. All right, let's move on. If you want to get in touch with us, and why would you have done that? Uh, you can uh, Twitter us. We're on the Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can Facebook us as well. We're Empire Magazine and that. Guess what? And uh, you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Okay, time now for our first interview The Fault in Our Stars based on John Green's hit novel which charts the relationship between a young girl dying of cancer and the fearless boy who falls in love with her I'm looking at Helen for verification (laughs) has been something of a sensation in the States and is set to turn his young male lead Mr Ansel Elgort into a big star he came in this week to talk to Helen and nobody else just Helen Ansel Elgort, how are you doing? Good, how are you? Not too bad, thank you. It's kind of a, an interesting thing that you're coming into this movie, which in normal circumstances, making a film like this would be a pretty small, under-the-radar affair, you know, a drama, a family drama, but by young people with, you know, not a, a huge A-list stars, with no disrespect to either yourself no, or No, totally, Shirley. I love that about the movie, yeah. But in this case, I mean, it is, it is a book that has, since it was optioned and since the movie started production, it's become a huge phenomenon. I mean, it's... Yeah. It's massively well known, maybe even better than Divergent, which yeah, is which it's is true. crazy. Yeah, um, this is—it's a phenomenon for a reason. The book is amazing. The story is an amazing story that needs to be told, and uh, and yeah, like you were saying, I love the fact that, like, you look at the movie poster and it's like my face is on there. And Shailene is a star, but she's not an A-list like movie star yet. She will be very, very soon, yeah. probably within the next few months. She probably is. I think she probably is now, but. She's not like a like a face you know, and movie posters rarely put two faces of people you don't know on the poster. Yeah, um, and that's beautiful. I love that. It's it's more authentic that way too. Yeah. That's not just two huge stars. And like I said, it's a good step for Hollywood. I remember, I remember being young, younger, and always being upset when I would get um, when I wouldn't get cast and stuff. Uh-huh. Like much younger before I'd ever worked. And I would go to auditions, and I had no chance at that point. And it was because I would be 16 auditioning for an 18-year-old, and a you know 25-year-old would get the 18-year-old role, and I'd get so upset. I'd be like, that's such you know bullshit. And it's nice that in our case, yeah, we're a little bit older, but uh, yeah, I don't know, we're we're not that old. No, you're within spitting distance, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And Nat is a, was a year older, only a year older. I was only two years older. Yeah. Shailene was only three years older. Wow. So you you mentioned going things from the past. I mean, for people who don't know, you've you've kind of been been working and performing for over a decade, really, at this point, right? You've been on stage. You've also yeah. went to the Fame School, I believe. Yeah. Is, it, is it really like? I mean, how much is it like that? Do you wear out leg warmers every term? You know, are you kind of giving well, the dancers do the dancers do? Yeah, I was the drama major, so we wore black every day. You know, right? Yeah, just turtlenecks all exactly. the time. Exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, we actually, we we would dance on tables. I learned how to dance in the cafeteria. 
we have dance competitions in the cafeteria during like before winter break or something there'd be bands marching around school playing music going to classrooms and annoying teachers halloween was a mess <laughs> everyone would dress up and everyone is such a character at the school and then it was time a day when you were allowed to be a character everyone was a total character one year i rented a um a big bird costume from this huge Halloween, uh, not even a co- like a big costume shop. Like I rented a Big Bird costume. Like if you hired Big Bird to come to your party, it was like legit and huge. And I was about eight foot tall in this Big Bird costume. And I showed up to school at Halloween in this Big Bird costume. And I didn't go to a single class. I just paraded around school wreaking havoc. And that's the kind <laughs> of school we were at. I was going to say, you'd be, you'd be hard pressed to like fit into a desk in one of those. Yeah, know? I would hit my head on the door, on the door frames all the time, <laughs> walking in and out of classrooms. Did you get your deposit back though? You you returned I did, it in usual yeah. condition. It still cost me like a hundred dollars though, but it was like the best hundred dollars ever spent. <laughs> well, that's awesome. So you learned to you've learned to dance. You can obviously act. I believe you also paint, compose, and I believe you can sing. Yeah, I do a lot of shit. Wow. So what what can't you do? What is what is so far proved <laughs> completely impossible? Maybe math. Um, I can't spell. Okay. I can't really read very well. Uh, I'm not perfect, um, but I, yeah, I do. I do like to do a lot of artistic things. Right now, currently, I'm. I spend a lot of time doing the whole Ant Solo thing, which is my house music. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'll probably be doing it on my car ride up to Manchester today. I'll be, I'll be producing in the car. I always like it's. I always want to stay artistic and doing things, because even though this is like we're talking about the movie and stuff, I'm not. I don't feel like I'm. Fu- I'm fulfilled right now. You know. Yeah. You're so not creating. I, something I love like to be creating things. Yeah. Wow. Um, and so obviously it comes from your name. I'm guessing there's also a little bit of a Star Wars kind of fan. No, maybe. not really. No? I mean, maybe. I think my brother <laughs> my brother and sister used to call me Han Solo because they like was after Han Solo. But uh, I would just take it because they called me that. Okay, fair enough. So you're not you're not like... I'm not a big like. Star Wars fan. I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. Okay. I love Lord of the Rings, but uh-huh. I, Star Wars uh, I liked, but not as I wasn't obsessed with it. See, I did see a reference online to you painting Hobbit figures. Or exactly, something. I painted a lot of Lord of the Rings guys. Okay, so have you got a favorite character? Yeah, like I, I love Gandalf. Gandalf is really awesome. Um, Theoden is the mm-hmm. guy who I love him too. I like the, that. There's so many great characters in those movies, especially because those movies are great because they're action films, kind of. But at the same time, they're character pieces, and you have so many different characters and Samwise and Frodo and their story. Yeah, I love that. I I would die to be a part of a series like Lord of the Rings because you're part of something epic. But what so many epics are missing nowadays are is the character aspect. Yeah, and it's only about the explosions, and there's no introduction of the characters, and no one gives a shit about the movie because it's all just like explosions and people are dying. But you're like, I don't care about them. <laughs> uh, whereas, like, even in the Hobbit film, I don't think they did a great job introducing the hob uh, introducing the dwarves yeah because there's like 10 dwarves and to be honest i know like two of them and if like one or two dwarves died every movie like i wouldn't really care it's like oh like the uh the sleepy dwarf died or like the funny fat dwarf died like yeah i don't remember i don't know who he is <laughs> whereas like in the original fellowship of the rim like the first movie boromir dies and even though he's like bad you're like shoot boromir just died like that's crazy yeah that's really upsetting that you missed out on you're li- just a little bit too young to have been in I would you know, have died series. and I th- I would still love to be in the Hobbit. Like I asked you have no idea I asked my agents and stuff I was like can I please be in the Hobbit? <laughs> I'll just and stand in the like, background. They were like no you, you can't just go and stand in the background in the Hobbit. <laughs> you're a little bit tall I think as well you might stand out just yeah. a little bit. Yeah, I want to be a dwarf and I was like eh, you can't do it. No. So what else are you kind of interested in like you know there's a lot of superhero movies being made at the moment is is that the kind of thing that you see yourself doing in a few years if you're lucky enough what what is it that is there a particular kind of thing that you you would really like to try? 
Yeah, I mean, uh, being a superhero would be cool. Totally. But it would have to be a good superhero. Mm. I think, like, like what Robert Downey Jr. has done in Iron Man, like, it's, it's a win-win for him because he's you don't feel like he's selling out by playing that role because it's a, it's a great role, and he plays it really well, and he does a great job. Uh, I think Captain America has done really well, too. Yeah. But then there's some superhero movies that I didn't like as much. Um, so I think it's, it's just about finding the right one. Yeah. Uh, any movie that now that I'm auditioning for, like, I'll, I'll look at it and I'd say, like, does this have a character that I'm, like, going to be in love with playing? Especially with, like, a big superhero movie that takes, like, six months to film. Am I going to be, like, happy playing the same guy, like, with no arc? For six months, no. <laughs> You've got to kind of move some forward in some way, basically yeah. between the thing. I mean, I, I, I mean, I talk about superhero movies, but obviously you've already got the sort of divergent franchise, I guess, yeah. going on now. So, have you already been working on Insurgent? Or are you going back? I'm to on it next? right now. You're on it. Yeah, um, I it just worked out that I got to come here. Oh, cool. Um, for this, uh, and I was, but I was filming on Friday, and what is it, Monday? So yeah. I, I was just, wow. I was just filming. So for those who haven't uh, maybe read ahead in the books, I mean, what can you tell us without massive spoilers about Caleb in, in the second book? Because he's a character who has a really interesting arc. He's not the most yes. sympathetic guy at first, but he's got some really interesting stuff going on. Yeah, he gets a lot more interesting, which is good. Yeah. Rather than in the first movie, he's... Even the first movie, though, because he starts at Abnegation, then he goes to Erudite, and then he comes back, and he's not confused, and he's he feels guilty. And in the second movie... Um, you know, they all run away to Amity and they're on Amity Farms and uh which is the faction outside of the wall. And then he uh Yeah, he, interesting choices are made by Caleb and there's a reason why he's not the most loved character in the series. And that's good to play. Mm. You know, I don't always want to be loved. I feel like Caleb and Augustus are very different. Yeah. Even the way I hold myself, the way I see myself, it's different. Gus is a leading man. Caleb is not a leading man kind of guy. That's important for me. I don't want to always be the leading man. Mm. You know? It would get boring. A genuine Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I And I like, I'm totally, some actors can do it, but I don't know if I could. I, I, I have to play some character sometimes. Mm. How, do you read ahead? Because I remember asking Shailene this last time and she at that point hadn't read Allegiant and, and didn't want to. I, mean, are I you know what happens in Allegiant, but I haven't read it yet. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but I know what happens. I mean, it's been... Veronica told me. It's funny. I heard it from the horse's oh, mouth. Oh, you did? Okay, good. Yeah. It wasn't like your friend was no, just no, running No, no. Veronica told me what happened. She was like, do you want to know? I was like, yeah, I kind of heard like something big happened. She's like, yeah. And like, she was like, let me tell you about Caleb. Um, yeah, it's good to know. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't read a lead yet, but probably should soon enough i mean i'll read it before i do a legion yeah well that would seem yeah. like a good idea <laughs> reading ahead is is good because then you know where your character is going to go but at the same time if you do that like you have to be careful about playing the future because mm. like caleb has a lot of he changes a lot and he's very wishy-washy but the only thing i can take from what happens to him in the future is that he's not always sure of himself because if you're really very sure of yourself you're not going to change your mind okay and caleb changes his mind a lot and goes and changes direction a lot yeah. in, in the series so that's the only thing i can take from that that, that makes sense i mean it's, it's like uh, the example that's coming to mind is snape in the harry potter books like he kind of had to know that to play it the right way throughout but sometimes you know would have really messed but up he, but he up. didn't know yet when he started the movie I think he did, you know. Because the first movie, the first book, 
I mean, the first movie didn't come came out, but the seventh book hadn't been written yet. But she told him. It's she the did? the same kind of thing, yeah. Oh. And J.K. Rowling told him. That's cool. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad she told him. Yeah, Alan Rickman is amazing. He's pretty impressive. Uh, who, who are you a fan of? I hear you're a big Paul Newman fan. Is that right? Yeah, I love Paul Newman. Have you got a favorite role? It's a tough question. Yeah, it is. It's very tough. A movie recently I've seen him in that I liked a lot is um, is Cool Hand Luke. I love that movie. Yeah, it's a great one. Have you uh, tried the egg challenge? No. <laughs> I, maybe I could do it. I have to eat a lot of freaking eggs. How many does he eat? 50? I think it's 50, isn't it? And then his friend says, why, why couldn't you have said 30 or 25? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, 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 Paul Newman is a great role model for me just because first of all he's an amazing actor he played a lot of different kind of roles so he wasn't always like the good guy and he wasn't always like technically just like the the handsome leading man he didn't only do love stories um and but at the same time i've heard from people that he loved his wife and that like anytime you saw him around his wife he was grabbing her and kissing her for years like they were together like 50 60 years and he was always in love with her i love that um he was a great guy he started the whole newman's own thing He's just, like, done good things. And everyone always said he was a great guy. And, like, on top of being an actor and being an artist, like, I want to be a great guy. And I want to have a family. And I want my kids to respect me and love me. And that's something really important to me. And, like, being a real, like, that's a real good man, Paul Newman. I'd like to be like him. Yeah. Hell of a career as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, covers every, every base, basically. Yeah. And it's difficult balancing the two. Like, I'm already worried, like, with my life now, like, how am I going to, how do I balance family and loved ones and career, like, yeah. when it's just crazy? But he's a great example of someone who did that. Has it gotten kind of weird uh, with, you know, with such high profile films as Divergent and and The Fault in Our Stars? I mean, you've got some some really passionate fans that, that in, I think it's Initiates, isn't it? And uh, Nerd Fighters. I was on your Instagram earlier and I saw the quote on one of the pictures you sir ruined me you broke my heart into a million pieces with this damn movie i love you i hate you <laughs> which is very sweet actually but yeah, like totally. you know they really feel strongly about this stuff so is that kind of i don't know affected you at all or are you kind of able to sidestep it a little bit and sort of not you know quite yet it hasn't affected me that much because uh i'm not like a like like we said, I'm not like an A-list movie star yet, so like I don't get recognized everywhere I go. Mm. But I mean, a little bit now. But like it'll be like, I'll see like three young girls pass me, and I'm like, okay, like probably a 50% chance they know who I am. But I like kind of turn my head the other way, and I'm wearing a hat, and I look down a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's 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 really great to have that kind of fan base, because hopefully I'll have them for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, you have to, we have to think the interesting thing about careers now and social media. Yeah, that was they, no one ever had that before and no big actor has ever had it before mm. like you know paul newman didn't have a twitter um <laughs> however you think you have to think about you know i don't think that that for for that reason you have to say well paul newman didn't have a twitter so i shouldn't have a twitter i think that things are changing and that everyone you should have a twitter but it's how you handle it you know how would someone like a paul newman handle handle twitter like someone respectable really well, yeah and be like you know, and I, obviously right now I'm young, so I think that there's a certain, I I should be interactive with my fans. But as I get older, I might get less interactive and just, but always try to set a good example. And I think the way John Green handles his Twitter is great. He sets a great example, talks about important things. Um, I really like the way he handles it. Yeah, fair enough. And what's, just finally, what's next for you? What, are you, what have you got coming up? Um, a Jason Reitman film called 
either men, women, and children or or pale blue dot. I think they're still working on the title. Oh, really? But okay. yeah, it's um, it's a great movie. I'm mostly most of my stuff's opposite. Dean Norris, who played Hank in Breaking Bad, uh, he's my father. Uh, or it's opposite a young actress named Caitlin Deaver, who's really awesome. She was just one of the stars in the movie Short Term Twelve. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about that. Very different role than Augustus. Very different. And that's a good thing. That's what I always want to do. Cool. All right. Well, thank you very All right. much. Thank you. How was he? Was he nice? He was a really was nice, nice kid, actually. Yeah, really, really good. I think I think he will go on to big things. He's uh, he's obviously next up in, in Insurgent, the sequel to Divergent. which mm-hmm. And he, his character has a little bit of a bigger role going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. Oh, that's good. Good. And uh, speaking of Faulkner stars, uh, we also had Laura Dern on the podcast the great Laura Dern and she'll be on a later podcast around about the time of the film's DVD release but she was a lot of fun Yeah, we keep having people from Jurassic Park sitting in, in my chair it's, it's it's good I enjoy it actually enjoy she's it. sat in Phil's chair no sorry as did Sam Neill yeah so I thought Sam Neill sat in this chair mm-hmm. no sorry right. to disappoint okay we need to have a podcast meeting right after this I, I'm serious guys this is really not on uh, okay time for movie news I think the Colin Firth news brought us to our very core um, so mm. is there anything else is there anything to give us hope in this bleak world in which we now find ourselves absolutely well there's a couple of things uh, first of all in the in the sphere firmly of rumour mm-hmm. Mark Ruffalo the lovely Mark Ruffalo says that Marvel is apparently considering a Hulk film now this was kind of rumoured after Avengers oh. came out and everybody fell madly in love with his Hulk and then they kind of said, no, that's kind of on the back burner. We might do a TV show, but there's no plans for a movie. Now, apparently, there are vague conversations, at least, happening about a Hulk movie. Um, and if it is indeed the rougher Hulk, then I, I would personally be on board for that. He told me much the same thing uh, when I was on set of Avengers 2, although I was embargoed and couldn't say anything about it, but now it's out there. I might as well talk about it a little bit. Yeah, he said the same thing. Uh, but I don't think he said it at, at, at any concrete stage No, at the moment. I'd love to see it. Uh, although, we've had two Hulk movies. Neither have been very good. So Marvel might be going, does this character actually work on its own? But I think it can. There's so much in the Hulk's history. There's so much to do with the, the psychology of the Hulk. Mm. Uh, you can have Savage Hulk. You can have Smart Hulk. You can have Banner fighting for control of them, like the Peter, great Peter David run. Creepy Hulk. I would do that. Yeah. You could even go down the, the Grey Hulk route with uh, you know Joe Fixit and take him to Vegas for a bit. That would be fun. Okay, so this wouldn't be coming out before 2018, probably at the earliest, right? They're kind of, they've kind of got a schedule that far in advance. So we've got some time. And in the meantime, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is becoming more and more of a universe. World War Hulk. Come on. I'm not a big fan of that. Oh, I'm not come a big on. fan of that storyline. Just for the sheer you. craziness of it, I would love that. Yeah, I know what you mean. But then, who do you get? Because, uh, okay, we could, go, we could go deep nerd here at this point, but I, uh, for the sake of our, our listeners, probably won't. Probably but, not. You know, there's, there, there, there are lots of pieces you just have to jig around to yeah, make that I happen. Yeah, I know. World War Hulk, if you don't know what it is, is essentially, uh, it's a... Uh, a, a it's a run of of the Hulk story. Sorry, it's a run of the Hulk comic where, essentially, how do we describe this? Uh, a group of very powerful heroes got together, realized, thought the Hulk was too powerful to keep on Earth, so they exiled him to a a planet. There was a run called Planet Hulk. He uh, he landed on an alien planet, became the overlord of that alien planet, had a son, fell in love, wife was killed, blah 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 blah. He came back to Earth full of vengeance. Uh, wanted to wreak great havoc and furious vengeance upon uh, the people who banished him in the first place, including the likes of Iron Man, Reed Richards, and Doctor Strange, and basically laid down the smackdown on all of them in, in no short order. And it, it's a good, it's fine, I enjoy it's, it. But yeah, it's, I just, I just kind of like it occasionally when the, the comics just go 
mega scale yeah. on stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, these people are supposed to have, you know, world conquering powers. Let's see it. Yeah. Sometimes it's a lot of fun. I'm not saying it's in any way realistic, but it'd be a, it'd be a heck of a ride. Absolutely. As a Hulk fanboy who is always arguing that Hulk is the strongest one there is, uh, World War Hulk was great because he basically proved it in, in by, by beating everyone up. Which was which was good. So yeah, actually, I would like to see that. But Ruffalo is more soulful actor, is, I, I think, know, and I, I just know. think that you know. And that was very much a Hulk story and no way a Banner story. Precisely, so. precisely. But anyway, we can um, we can skip merrily across the Marvel universe and talk about Doctor Strange, which you just touched on, which has a new writer attached, and it is none other than Edgar John Spates. <laughs> <laughs> John Spates, who's best known probably for writing Prometheus, film which is fair to say polarised fans. For writing a version of Prometheus. Writing a version of Prometheus, working on not Damon the f- not Lindelof. The, not the one that we, we ended up getting. Exactly. His was much more alien wasn't it? Yeah. It was much more alien Sounded better, frankly. It did. There you go. Well, he, you know, Damon Lindelof is sort of the lightning rod for fanboy ire for what happened on that film. John Spates, as you say, was the first drafter. He has come on in a reverse role as a sort of doctor... This is, I think, a deadline joke. Script doctor for this movie, working on a draft that was first penned by Thomas Dean Donnelly and Joshua Oppenheimer, who worked together on such magnum opuses as (laughs) Sahara. So I I don't know exactly what this means for the storyline. If you're not familiar with Doctor Strange, we've got a piece on the website that's worth checking out. He's basically sort of Doogie Howser meets Paul Daniels. A medical man has an accident, develops powers, goes off... I believe hangs out with Ra's al Ghul in Nepal. Yes, he does, yeah. Comes yeah. back yeah. and brings the pain, or a pain, or painkillers, because he's a doctor. Um, anyway, so that's going to be happening at the moment. John Spates also has been working on the putative Universal reboot of The Mummy and the Black Hole reboot as well. So he's a guy that's mm. a name we're going to be hearing a lot more from. Um, Scott Derrickson, of course, is the man that's directing this. Yes. And he's also been talking this week about the project and mm. tipping his hat to the Stanley and Steve Ditko Strange Tales uh, canon within the Dot Strange world. So um, if you're a fan of that, then there's something to look forward to there. Yeah, fine. I thought that Twitter would be more up in arms about John Spates, but as you rightly point out, he wasn't responsible for Prometheus uh, and he seems to be a fine writer. So mm. fingers crossed yeah. on that one, I would have to say. Well, we'll find out if there's a bit where Dot Strange is chased down the street by a giant space donut. Then, you know, the finger of blame will point his way. But yeah. Roll out of the way, Charlize. Roll out of the way. I'm going to segue. There's nothing any of you can do to stop me doing it. There's no it. room in here to say. From doctor to chems, which are the type of <laughs> type of medicine that Aaron Cross took in the Born Legacy. Because I have Born Legacy news. Oh my God. They're making another one. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most partridge link well, of ever. It's amazing. I loved it. It, it kind of worked. I think I pulled it off. Um, so <laughs> if you remember, uh, to bring you up speed, in the Born Legacy, some stuff happened. A wolf exploded and uh, Jeremy Renner took some pills. And they're making another one um, because they didn't really finish the story there. Is he tripping balls in this one? <laughs> I hope so. I yeah. hope so. It's, it's not clear if there'll be more chems, but yeah, they're making Born 5. Justin Lin is directing, which to me is the exciting part. It's been pushed back. <clears throat> to 2016, summer 2016. It's unclear what the title is going to be, whether it's going to be The Bourne something. To me, it would be a bit strange if it was called The Bourne something without having Matt Damon in it. Well, we had Tony Gilroy in that exact chair in the podcast a year ago saying that he just thought there was no way they could call it Bourne. Really? Yes. But they'll have to, otherwise people won't show up. He just said, how can it be? What have you got? He's really cross. (laughs) Because he's angry, but he's also called cross. 
That's the that's the words. That's the tagline. Wow, that was that was a thing that just happened. That was good. He's really cross. He's re- yeah. Wow. Um, cross. Jeremy Renner is contractually obligated. How about that? Does that sound like a, a good idea? Jeremy Renner. I mean, he is the franchise guy, and he's like he's in franchise prison at the moment. How about the born shrug? Mm. People go. Oh. Justin Lin's interesting. Uh, he's a good action director, and uh, anyone who judges him purely on the fast movies should check out his uh, paintball episode of Community because the man knows his oh, action movie tropes. And I think he has some serious chops, and that's exciting to me. If they drop most of what they established with the last Born movie, all the Kems nonsense, and actually have Jeremy Renner do something interesting, that, that yeah, this could be okay. Well, there's going to be another year for them to work on the script and develop it so that's a good thing mm. it feels like a franchise that's just lost its sense of identity without prejudging <laughs> this one started off with Doug Lyman it's come to Justin Lin I mean you couldn't get two directors that are sort of more different in a way via Paul Greengrass obviously and Tony Gilroy I, I just I don't know what's left there's nothing wrong with reinventing it in, in terms of the style of the director I think what's more important is trying to find a way that works to tell you know a coherent story which maybe legacy didn't okay so that's the uh, the born legacy 2 he's really cross coming to cinemas in 2016 summerset 2016 i'm just gonna throw one more thing okay, out cool. uh they are making uh one last resident evil resident oh. evil 6 yes will are. be the final one yes it's always been planned they claim as two <laughs> trilogies and if you saw resident evil 5 <laughs> at the ending yeah. of that film is <laughs> genuinely one of the most bizarre things i've ever seen where the virus has turned has created dragons as well as everything else and you see the white house surrounded by fortifications i'm sorry this is a spoiler but who cares um white house surrounded by fortifications and huge flamethrowers and they're fighting like zombies and zombie dog things and dragons in the skies overhead and mental big monsters and it's just the most dumb thing I've ever seen in my life. It looks amazing. They're basing this series on children's dreams, aren't they? There's a child that just wakes up every morning and Paul Dove's down and goes, what, what did you dream about today? Dragons. Okay, they're in. I, I, I've talked about this franchise before on the podcast. I just can't understand it. I've tried watching the films. I just... You've been on set of one. I've been on the set you of... You lucky uh, dog. I've yes. never been on set of yeah, one. I saw zombie ravens in action, but I just, I don't know. It's really complicated. I can't get my head around all the plot. Well, no, the, the number of um, clones of Milyovovich, I've, I've completely lost count at this point. The last one took place in an underground dome that mm, that kind of recreated all the previous um, sort of milieu of the film in a kind of holographic way or something. And they, they brought back clones of everybody who's ever appeared in a Resident Evil movie and then killed most of them again immediately. It was just not good. But I'm actually, what am I saying? I've actually seen all five so far. I don't know why this has happened, but it has. So I'll undoubtedly see six. <laughs> After what you've said about the dragons, I'm going to see six. <laughs> so what's the news on that one? Because um, has it, has it started filming? or what's He's it? writing it. He's writing it. I thought, it, was, I thought it. it started filming already, no? Mm-mm. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, one last news story, okay. if we may. That is Catherine Bigelow is making another military-themed kind of movie, once again working with screenwriter Mark Ball, who, of course, they did The Hurt Locker together in Zero Dark Thirty. And um, they are now interested in the story of the recently released uh, POW, Bowie Bergdahl, um, who, apologies if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I've actually just read about him in newspapers, I haven't actually watched the TV news on him. So he was an army sergeant who walked off base in Afghanistan and was picked up by Taliban and held prisoner for for years. And recently, um, it looked like his health was fading, so the 
the Americans made a deal to release him uh, in exchange for five Taliban prisoners. Uh, this has caused a huge political fallout in the US with people accusing him of all manner of, of um, nasty behaviour, accusing Obama of having acted inappropriately by failing to cons- consult Congress in advance of the deal, which has rather sort of clouded you know, the story of, of a single man and being a POW and being held in what's unlike pretty appalling conditions for quite a long time. So it's it's all very much still developing. The army are, are, have just opened this week an investigation into everything that happened and into Bergdahl's um, behaviour itself. Um, he's obviously, you know, still kind of receiving treatment for his um, health and so on. So I think they're going to have to wait a little bit and see what develops in this story because you know as with Zero Dark Thirty they were prepping a film about the hunt for Bin Laden when Bin Laden was actually found and that sort of changed what they were doing and I think they're going to have to wait a little bit here for the facts to become clearer before they can start but it's an interesting subject for them and one that's very much in their wheelhouse. It's a film about what can happen when you can't build an Iron Man suit. Uh, Yes yes I guess it is. Nobody wants to see a film like that they want to see the films where they do build an Iron Man suit don't Mm. we don't we Catherine Bigelow and Mark, Mark Bold took a pounding for Zero Dark Thirty. It almost went in front of a Congress congressional mm-hmm. inquiry. So I'm <clears throat> interested. I mean, the, the 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 relish with which they tackle that stuff again. Yeah, good for them, I guess. What happened to this Triple Frontier movie they were going to do with Tom Hanks? Is that completely gone? Is that completely and Jeremy Renner, in fact? Is that has that fallen by the wayside completely? It's gone awfully quiet anyway. Yeah. So this might be their next one. I mean, I think if you want to know more about Bergdahl, there's a, a brilliant piece on Rolling Stone from 2012, which I think you you can Google, um, where they did a, a story. At that point, he was obviously still in captivity, and they did a story on his family and the circumstances that had led him there, which is is really fascinating reading um, and then of course there's been all sorts of crazy talk um, since he came back which is also worth kind of looking into so I mean this could be if, you, if they sort of try and take a, an overview and view it from all sides this could be a really really fascinating look at again American foreign policy and how they interact with uh, with the middle and the far east so who knows but um, but yeah I think they're going to have to wait a little bit more for things to become clear Blimey O'Reilly and just one last thing I want to mention um, the first official image from Fifty Shades of Grey has hit the internet. It's um, actually happening. It's actually happening. Jamie Dornan as Christian Grey, tackle in now Helen as Hi. the uh, official Fifty Shades of Greyologist. Oh God, is that what it's come to after <laughs> all these years? This is what's come to. I don't know. What do you think? It just seems to me that if you have a movie that's going to be this raunchy, yeah, don't you need to start showing that in some of your images to to, to tell well. people to reassure the fan base that yes, you will see it going in and everything. <laughs> so what is the oh. image? Sorry, it's him in a car in a suit. How are the rims? <laughs> you don't see them I'm afraid. you don't see the rims yeah. uh, nor do you see his massive engine or his ginormous horn what are you doing anyway um, it's I mean you know he looks like a handsome man sitting in a car uh, I can't really say anything more than that at this point given that this is directed by Sam Taylor Johnson I think she's going to be doing her level best to make this a respectable and a sort of psychologically interesting film um, rather than being what it is on the page I so. still can't believe they didn't hire William Baldwin <laughs> what are they thinking? <laughs> I still genuinely can't believe we're actually going to see this film. He could I just, play oh. Mr. Gray's dad. He could play like you know. If you Bobby want Gray. a film to be erotic, you hire William Baldwin. It's rule one. I don't know. I think if you and rule sixty nine. If you want to make a film like this, you hire a director with a with a rude name. So Taylor Wood to Taylor Johnson. I don't know. Sounds like she's got all the tools for this one. Um, well, yes, because he does wear very nice suits. You're right. They're all tailored. They are all tailored. And he has a Johnson. All right. Okay. Let's move on. 
Yeah, Swift. Dakota oh, Johnson. Dakota Johnson, who of course is also in the film. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, that's what you meant. <laughs> obviously. So. I think we should probably mention that next week is our second live show. We're going to be at the Edinburgh Film Festival uh, on June 24th doing a live podcast. It'll be me, Phil, Helen and Ali Plum up there. We're going to have some very special guests whose names I won't reveal because there'll be surprises to you guys when they walk in the room and let's be frank, there'll be surprises to us as well when they walk in the room. Thank God you're here. We were worried that you might not turn up. They'll be there. Uh, they'll be there. It's, it's actually a very exciting pair of guests. It is we're an exciting pair. Yeah, yes, that's confirmed. There are two guests. Uh, so that's going to be on Tuesday, June 24th. Uh, but the podcast will go out next Friday as normal. But if you want to come and see the podcast being recorded, it's on Tuesday, June, June 24th. Uh, starts at 3.30, 3.30 to 5.30. I know it's an afternoon session, but, you know, hey-ho. And you can get tickets for that by going to edfilmfest.org.uk and type it in the Empire Podcast do a search for us there and at just £5 a pop you really can't say fairer than that Okay, time now for our second interview. John Favreau is the man who made Swingers swing. He made made. He turned Will Ferrell into an elf and he allowed Iron Man to fly. It's been a few years since his last uh, big budget directorial effort, Cowboys and Aliens, but he's returned to the fray with Chef, an indie in which he stars as a top chef. He goes back to basics in an attempt to stop being told what to do by interviewing bosses who want to please the mass market. Wait a minute. This is just a huge big metaphor, isn't it? Oh, clever, Fabs, clever. Uh, he came in last week to talk to Helen and Ali Plum. Enjoy. You've been here for a couple of days already in England. How many people on the street have said, you're so money? Get a lot of friends. Will they just shout friends at you? Well, y'all, hey, friends. Uh, and then I'll, <laughs> I'll get... No, friends is actually big here. That was that was the one that... That, uh, that was the first thing that I was known for here, because friends was, was as big, if not bigger, here than in the States. When mm. I was here uh, after Swingers, that was it. And then... And then uh, what else? Elf. I get a lot of Elf. People who know that I directed that. There was actually a sort of, it brought down Twitter one, one year when they showed it on Channel 4. Yes. On a Sunday before Christmas. I so. jumped in there. I remember that, I jumped yeah. in and then, they, and then they switched it to, to a pay channel yep. this last year and there was a lot of uh, it didn't go rumbling well. online. I loved Chef. I think everyone who interviews you probably says that as the first statement, but I really did. And I think what I got most out of it is the creative metaphor for making art, making food. Sure. Which made me think... You know, I know Elf, if that were a meal, that's probably a bowl of jelly beans, right? Uh, yeah, what, or spaghetti with a, a, a maple syrup on it, maybe, yeah. Uh, what would, say, Iron Man be if it were a meal? Oh, boy, that's, 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 that's meat and potatoes. That's, that's, a, that's a big old medium-rare ribeye steak <laughs> with a good char on it. And some mash, right? That's what you kids call it. Yeah. Mash. Yes. Okay. Obviously, you know, people are drawing sort of comparisons between uh, Carl's journey and your yeah. own in that, you know, he's had a big success. He's yes. been established in L.A. And he kind of goes back to something smaller, yes. something closer to his roots to, yes. to kind of recharge himself. Yeah. He, I, I think it's different when you're forced into it, like the character was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've always been a, a, a bit more measured than the character that I'm playing. Um, but there's definitely a side. And what I like about chefs, too, is they don't. They don't realize. Maybe now they do, but but typically they don't realize that they're public figures. And people who just get on social media don't realize that they're speaking to everybody. And so he ends up getting into a lot of trouble uh, through Twitter and through uh, an out an outburst that's on YouTube. He's just he, he's just not equipped for the for, for the times. I've I've always been pretty aware of uh, of those circumstances. And I've been on Twitter. I'm a pretty early adopter. I've been on for about five years, and I've seen them come and I've seen them go. Uh, but it's fun to play a character who's who's up against it more. Yeah. But I do think it is fair to say that this is like a food truck. This this movie, because it's one of those things where you don't have to you don't have to sell a lot of sandwiches compared to a big restaurant. You know, 
Uh, and you don't have to please everybody, but the people that you do please have to really connect with it in a, in a very sincere way. Yeah. And it was it is nice now as the the film has come out in the states during the summer that we, we could be called a big hit when we, we've only made I think I think up to this point about ten million dollars, yeah. which is you know which would have been a, an, a, a a total and complete failure if it was a huge movie. <laughs> so I love watching the the you know them duke it out with the big films yeah. and, and to be kind of uh, uh, in a whole different part of the, the the movie ecosystem because i've been certainly i've been on the good side of that and the bad side of that with uh with with the iron man films with cowboys and aliens i felt and zathura i felt the ups and downs so uh but what's nice about this one is, is people are really connecting with it they're they're seeing it multiple times it was one of those films where it was just out in a few cities and and because they were selling out those few screens it, it started to spread and spread and now it's i think like 1300 screens this week so it's it's a uh, it, it's really fun to go back to the independent film roots and and to have success in there. I do feel though that there should be a warning somewhere about don't go into this on an empty stomach. So quite a lot of people went in without having had any oh, that's anything a problem. to eat. Yeah, and I you I think it's it on purpose no. <laughs> to make it to make you <laughs> connect even more to the movie. Well, I just remember the bit where they were you were slicing that kind of barbecue joint. Oh yeah, and there was yeah. this kind of groan around the yes. cinema, like it, people just go oh this that's kind about, of involuntary. That's, that's over an hour in. Yeah, so everybody starts. <laughs> <laughs> get hungry they're done with their popcorn and uh yeah that 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 the scene you're talking about was a franklin barbecue in austin it's a barbecue brisket and it's amazing the the science and chemistry that goes into it, it looks beautiful but it's it was honestly probably the best meal i had on the show mm. and all it is is a is a brisket which is a, a relatively cheap cut of meat tough cut of meat he just put salt and pepper on it and they smoke it with you know with with a texas hardwood for like 14 hours and the flavors that you get out of just mm. the the what's called to get a little technical the Maillard reaction that goes on with the amino acids combining with the fats and with the there's actually sugars and flavors formed in the wood smoke and it all it all uh, chemically reacts to one another and creates these amazing flavors and the first thing you ask the guy is what did you marinate this in what's the barbecue sauce he's like there's no sauce it's just salt and pepper and uh, it just gets that thick black bark on it and it's a uh, tender and and delicious and people line up from early in the morning and they sell out every day so wow. i think it's happening again yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm sorry I'm really close i, I think You're drooling a little, bit. a little bit yeah um i one of the reasons i love the film and i think for me one of the reasons i want to see it again is so i can get the dialogue right i want to be able to deliver a moose douche like uh-huh. well and that was an improv line too by john leguizamo is that true yeah there's another one where Bobby Cannavale walks in and says, I think he shouts, Chef Big Dog. Up all night cooking, yeah. That was also improvised. We had a lot of, we had a loose set. I mean, everybody stuck to the story. Everybody stuck to when they were supposed to say a line. I just wanted it to feel natural. I mean, that's the thing is, is on, on the bigger movies, you, you're kind of forced into everything has to be measured and mm-hmm. done in obvious ways. And, and uh, when you go to a smaller film like this, you could, the comedy could be a little bit looser, a little bit more naturalistic. I was told by Drew Pierce that the yeah. reason why Happy Hogan loves Downton Abbey is because of you, sir. Yes, that's right. You're a fan. Now, obviously, we're here in the UK. Will you be visiting the set? Will you be going to the Abbey? Oh, I can't break the magic. They had originally had an Iron Man 3 that I was watching uh, MMA fighting. No, really? Yeah. And I was like, <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, not only did I pick Downton Abbey, but which scene I'm watching because it's the, you know, the heiress falling for the chauffeur and and if you know your your uh iron man history happy hogan has a has a a deep unrequited crush on on pepper Potts, and i think eventually they end up together and it, yeah. it, it doesn't turn out well hmm. 
but uh but I always, even though it's never addressed directly in it, that was always my subtext whenever I was around Gwyneth to be <laughs> like that. That he's he's so jealous of uh, he's so jealous of Tony. Yeah, I, I don't suppose you'll be visiting, you know, the movie your exec producing after all. Oh yeah, I'll be there. Avengers. Uh, Avengers. I'm gonna check that out, and I even uh, put a call into JJ. I think I might be stopping by to see what's going on with uh, episode seven. That one's gonna be hard to contain myself. Yeah, I, I think if if you have the connections. My- Get on set. Why to, would right? you not? This yeah. is you, this is quite a heyday in uh, in the UK oh, for yeah. for filmmaking. It's it's uh, everything everything's going on here, and it's a, a really wonderful, robust film community. And, we're, and for Jungle Book, the film I'm doing, we're going to be working with M- MPC, and we're working with the uh, the Effects House out of mm-hmm. London as well. So there's there's a lot of good work happening here right now. So how far along are you with Jungle Book? Have you uh, pretty far pretty along? Far? <laughs> yeah, pretty far along. It's a much different process than this because uh, I, I'm really. I've been studying the animation model uh, way back. I was working on a film called Magic Kingdom, which isn't happening right now. Hopefully it will. But even back when I was doing Iron Man 2, I was really paying attention to the process by which Pixar and now uh, D- Disney Animation uses. Uh, I, I'm sure other animation houses do as well. But the idea of a story department and a head of story and, and not just writing a script, but also working with artists and pencil pencil art. It really It really dates back to what what Walt Disney would do. Way back then, it was, you know, it still is very expensive to do animation, and so they really stress-tested the stories beforehand, before they ever put anything into the works. And uh, they'd go, they'd sweat box it, they'd, they'd screen it together and watch it, and, and as John Lasseter says, if a story plays in pencil, you know it's going to kill when, mm. when it's finally animated. And so we're using a lot of that process to work the story out, because it's so effects-heavy. And... Uh, you see a film like Gravity that that I think the the effects were very strong and the story was very was very uh, compelling, and a lot of it was because a lot of it was planned ahead of time and mm-hmm. and the effects integrated so well because it wasn't just arbitrarily done as often happens on the set of live action films. Yeah. So I'm trying to do a hybridized version of the two, but but there definitely are live action elements to it. Are you, are you meeting up? Or I suppose this is a silly question, but have you spoken to the other directors that are doing similar Disney classics being rejuvenated? Or is it just your own thing? You're not. This is different. You know, that's. I, I didn't realize it was. Um, it was a subgenre. I know. I know mm-hmm. Ken Branagh from mm-hmm. from the Thor days, because I had just done uh, Iron Man, and mm-hmm. he was and he was doing as he was getting ready to do Thor. And there's a bit of a brotherhood of of uh, and sisterhood of uh, all the people involved with the Marvel productions, mm-hmm. uh, because it's it's such a specific genre of film, mm-hmm. a subgenre to the superhero films. And there's a consistent tone to the, to all of them, and so uh, you know. So I had gotten to know uh, uh, Mr. Brana very well. Is he Sir Brana? I don't know. No, Is it? no he's, he's not. Still well, he will be. Wonderful guy. Wonderful guy. And um, and I know he's doing Cinderella, yeah. and uh, I've seen some of the stuff he's been working mm-hmm. on there. It's going to be fantastic. And and Maleficent uh, did very well in the theaters. And uh, I think that there's you know anytime when when technology offers uh, a new set of tools. There's an opportunity to revisit classic stories, mm. uh, and and I think with with Iron Man, you know that's a film that could not have been made ten years earlier, and and the innovations that I had seen ILM uh, doing with with Transformers made me realize that CGI had come a long way, especially for hard surfaces, yeah. and so it allowed us to have a a character that could fly in a believable way, and mm. and then uh, infusing a, a tone and personality into it helped define that whole universe, and so the technology and the tone. Uh, have uh, you know married up really well, and and now you know all the movies that are coming out, and they're hiring really 
a really cool array of filmmakers. I'm really looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm. And, uh, and so it's, it's nice to see the, the tradition being kept, kept up. At the very end of Avengers, there's a credit sting, which they did last minute, where you have the Avengers together eating yes. shawarma, right? Yes. Now, that reminded me of Dinner for Five. Yes, it, w- it would have been a good episode of Dinner for Five there, the Avengers. It would be incredible. I think you yeah. still have to be the king uh-huh. at, at yeah. the table, but then the rest just talking about their day. Uh-huh. Could you do me a personal favor and make some more Dinner for Fives? You know, it's... It, it was such a it was such a unique thing at the time, and now in the podcast environment, it seems that 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 style of I guess you call it chat show. I don't even know what it would be a long form talk show where you're not concerned about fighting for ratings. That was the key to mm-hmm. Dinner for Five. It was on IFC. IFC was was fairly new as far as original content went, and we weren't fighting for ratings. So we we could do things that you couldn't do on a on a late night talk show where you're fighting for people not to change the channel. But now that people are actually seeking out their content on their own time frame, ratings become less important because uh, eventually if somebody is drawn to something, it, they will catch up with it and eventually the eyeballs will get to it or, or in the case of podcasts, the ears. But I, I do think about, you know, I, I have the brand, you know, I don't know what format, mm. if it would be a podcast, maybe maybe start off as an audio uh, podcast, which is easier to start up. But now I know all these chefs through training and through chef and and that was an element of the show that we began with and we kind of distanced away from. But it's something that I think is part of that culture and it would be great to combine the, these amazing characters that I met in the culinary world with the people from the entertainment business. Mm. And they tend to be fixated and, 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 and obsessed with one another, which is <laughs> which is always a key for a good conversation. You know, yeah. the chefs love the the, the, the actors and the filmmakers and the filmmakers love the chefs. I guess there's a common thread of creativity, but, you know. It is. It's a similar thing, yeah. too, because, you know, you have, you have two groups that are very uh, dedicated and, and opinionated about their craft, but yet if the audience doesn't like what uh. they're doing, they'll completely hit reset. Mm-hmm. You, know, it, 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 you know, much like a, a, a filmmaker, they could fight and threaten to walk out if a studio changes the cut of a sequence, but, but if it's a comedy and, and, and that sequence doesn't get a laugh, they're the first people to, to just rip it apart and recut yeah. it and reshoot yeah. it. Same thing with a, with a chef. They could, you know, they will cook the food they want to cook, but, but if people aren't finishing their plates and aren't enjoying it, they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll completely reset the menu. This is a slightly random question, but when was the last time you played D&D? Oh, a long time ago. High school, probably. Okay. High school, but it, I, I feel like my career is like I'm a dungeon master still <laughs> because it's uh, it was actually good training. I had done that, and then I had done improv. It has nothing to do with the geek world or the gaming world, but, but the skill set was not that far off. And the idea of putting on a show or having people have a good time. I mean, I remember if there was somebody who planned like an adventure and was a dungeon master, and, mm. and, and he, they created a fun escapist environment. And that's kind of what happens when you're making a movie, too, or, or you have a film set and you're playing with, you know, really acting is, is, is a very uh, well-paid version of cosplay. <laughs> you know, you're dressed, everybody's, you know, they're dressing up. I mean, the fact is, it's, it, it seems cool when it's a movie and you see somebody at, at Comic-Con and it seems like uh, it, it, could be, it could be silly, but really you feel the same exact way when you're on a set dressed up. It's not like you feel cool when you're on a set dressed up. There's a, there's a, a, there's a level of commitment and just jumping in and celebrating the thing. And so I love going to Comic-Con. I love, I love mm. the cosplayers, especially when it's something that uh, I've been involved with. Like if I see like uh, uh, somebody dressed up with Tony Stark with, with, the, with the dancing Starkettes, you know, from Iron Man 2, 
when I see photos of that on the internet, I get a kick out of it because when we're putting together, we're like, what could be really fun and exciting? And when people actually dress up, it makes you realize that they've really embraced it. I've got a new pitch for dinner for five. D and D for five. Okay. That I don't know about that one. <laughs> no. I'm really hoping, going back to the Cosby thing, that you'll have the small and loyal group of fans of Chef that will dress up as Carl Casper. That would be cool. With the tattoos. Yes. There's an amazing, you have this amazing um, knife tattoo down your oh, arm. Yeah. yeah, chef's knife on my forearm. Was there a, was there a s small part of you that went, would it be acceptable if I just got this? I, I first, honestly, uh, and you always have to be careful at my age that it's not a midlife crisis thing. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, I'd love to buy that Porsche, you know, or I want to get that tat that sleeve tattoo, or <laughs> I want, you know what I mean? There's, there's this uh, urge to to really express yourself in a, in a, in a way as you would have when you were younger. And, uh, I think those, those, I have the, those sleeve tattoos that I had a lot of work went into them to figure out what, what they should be. A lot of work went into designing them and also ap applying them. So you end up wearing them, uh, throughout the week trying so that you don't have to sit in the chair for an hour and a half and get it put on. And so I would go through life with these tattoos and at first you'd sort of hide them, but then you'd wear short sleeve shirts, you know, as people treated you differently. And, <laughs> And you've got attention from different people. Uh, and so at first I was like, this is really cool, you know, uh, to get a beautiful tattoo, like a, like a koi fish sleeve. And then as I lived with it for months, yeah. uh, then it turned into, I start to feel like uh, not every situation that I want to be tatted <laughs> up like that. And people would view me differently. Yeah. Uh, you know, you go to the doctor's office and, you know, you, you want to explain, oh, these aren't really mine. Or you go to... Uh, <laughs> You know, I would go to meetings at the DGA and people saw me in short sleeves and, you know, they didn't know. They're like, I never noticed John had all his tattoos. Or did I get that? And so I, I kind of realized it wasn't really me, uh, but it was fun to have them. And it certainly was great for the character. And for those chefs, you know, they wear their chef whites. There's a, there's a very specific uniform that chefs will wear. And so they express themselves more through what they wear, mm -hmm. either on their feet or their tattoos or their hairstyle or their glasses. And so... Uh, they bring a lot of uh, flavor and character to it through that. And, I, and I, it's a part of the chef culture that I really, you know, I, I really am, uh, I, I dig. And it was fun to, to, again, like do my own cosplay to dress up <laughs> and be that guy for, for a couple months. I, I'd be tempted to take home his stove instead of his, his home. Well, that I did. <laughs> that I did. So now that's the big thing I'm doing. Because that is a healthy midlife crisis. That, is, yeah, that's, that's is, is cooking with the family. And, and so I, I've... Uh, I'm ripping out the kitchen, putting stainless steel in, and uh, you know, a big old flat top, a wok ring, a pizza oven, and I have some. I have like three smokers in the backyard now, because I'm trying to make that brisket that we were talking about on my own. And it's a, it's an ongoing. It's like it's like Zen flower arrangement. You know, it's like the simplicity, but the elegance and and cooking is uh, is wonderful because it's not something you just do off on your own, like you know, painting. Napoleonic yeah. lead figurines, <laughs> but instead it's something that my kids could do. And when the family's over, uh, it becomes a social hub. And even if people don't want to uh, be a part of cooking, uh, they're definitely going to be a part of eating. And, <laughs> and it, it's a it's a wonderful unifying, very primal, very primal uh, hobby. You know, and I, here I am working on movies where you could spend you could spend you know in excess of ten million dollars on the visual effects for one sequence in a film and you're struggling to make it interesting and you could show somebody just cutting into a brisket <laughs> and it just is just as compelling and to me that's fascinating as a filmmaker i really want to understand what makes somebody tick and what makes them drawn to something mm. and uh 
and and part of it is technology, but part of it's emotional and imagery and and to have people have a predictable response to something emotionally is a is a fascinating aspect of of what I do that I'm I'm really uh, curious about. It's ten to eleven now on a Monday. I'm now going to go buy a burger, <laughs> the biggest steak I can. Thank you so much, John. It's been a real thank pleasure. you so much for having me. Lovely first. He is a lovely man, and he also was uh, looking up the podcast to add it to his list of podcasts to listen to uh, when we left. So, if you're listening, hello. Hello. Uh, we're reviewing it next week, aren't we? We are, yes. Five stars. Okay. <laughs> Chef isn't out until next week, so we'll discuss it on our live podcast up in Edinburgh. Uh, so, let's start this week's reviews section with The Fault in Our Stars. If you have tears, prepared to shed them now. It's so sad. It's a, it is actually moving. But this is not... Uh, <laughs> This is not a gauche tearjerker. This is not the notebook to please be aware of that. I wouldn't even say it's particularly a chick flick. Um, it is the adaptation of John Green's runaway success novel, um, which tells the story of Hazel, who is a 17-year-old who's basically uh, been suffering from cancer since she was you know, uh, tw- 12 or 13. Uh, she has you know, very badly functioning lungs. Excuse me. <coughs> Let's start that again. Um, <laughs> the irony. Her, yeah, I know. Her lungs, she says, are not very good at being lungs. She has trouble breathing. She has uh, an oxygen uh, tube in her nose the entire way through the film. This is not something that sort of makes uh, leaves the cancer to one side once and just has people running around looking slightly pale. Um, she is she is basically you know living on kind of borrowed time uh, as we open the film and she has very loving parents played by Sam Tremell and Laura Dern um, and they're kind of it's really interesting the way they're played they're they're kind of torn between trying to be normal parents of a teenager and give her more and more freedom as she grows up and and you know let her go and enjoy life and do everything she can but also you know they're wildly protective because she is extremely sick and and you know anytime she makes a slight noise in her room they're kind of running in to make sure she's okay because it could be it could be that this is the moment that she's fallen over and, and relapsed and is about to, you know, go into hospital and never come out. So it's it's a terrifying kind of situation to be in in that sense, but it isn't played for mawkishness. It's not played for self-pity by any of them, really. They're kind of, you know, this is people who are kind of getting on with it. Anyway, so they send her to support group to try and meet other people her own age in the same sort of situation. And uh, there she meets um, Ansel Elgort's character, Augustus. And they kind of strike up a relationship much against her better judgment and sort of, you know, fall in together. And as she says, she's a she's a grenade. She's going to explode. She's going to destroy everyone around her. She's very reluctant to get close to him. And he kind of, you know, tries to persuade her anyway. That's kind of the setup. It's it's interestingly played this film. Um, I think it is. I mean, there are moments which are very mawkish in this just because of the nature of the situation that they're in. But it's not sort of played that way. It's kind of tried to they try to underplay it and make it more of a kind of an indie drama mm. than some kind of Nicholas Sparks thing. Um, good cast, I thought, all around. Really, mm-hmm. really good good performances. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of moments that seem a little bit odd. Um, Willem Dafoe uh, appears as a novelist that the two are obsessed with. And so his, his scenes are kind of a bit broader and a bit more... Not quite cartoonish, but just a bit different in tone from the rest of the movie. And that kind of took some people out of it, I know. And there's a scene in the Anne Frank house, because they go to visit Amsterdam to see him in Amsterdam, um, that has shocked some people. But I actually think it's it's kind of nice. Um, so, yeah, anyway, we loved it. We, we gave it four stars. Um, and I think it will... It's already been a huge state in the state, a hit in the state. I mm-hmm. think it's going to be a huge hit here as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, and Josh Boone, the guy who directed it, uh, is mm. really interesting. He is next, well, he's 
one of the many directors who's tried to tackle Stephen King's The Stand, and he's making all the right noises. Three, three hours, one movie. Yeah. Uh, R-rated. Lots of big names uh, in in the in the cast, and I think he's 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 very solid here. I, I think this is a very good yeah, this is a very good sign for The Stand, just because you know again you're you're dealing with something at the back the backdrop of that is emotional trauma, and then you've got to have a story in front of it and it's the same kind of setup here in a weird way in a very very different way mm. uh, he's he's quoted as saying about this film that the films like titanic and cancer is the iceberg that the film can't yeah. be about cancer yeah. it's just that's the big you know looming thing in the background absolutely so, so yeah really good stuff fantastic four stars uh which seemed surprising to me initially when i heard about this movie but uh it it, it will win you over uh four stars for the fault in our stars um it's not a great week for blockbusters at the UK uh, cinemas because there's a little thing on called the World Cup which has been consuming my time as anyone who has the misfortune to follow me on Twitter might know. Uh, but uh, Clint Eastwood's Jersey Boys which is mm. the adaptation of the hit stage musical about Frankie Fadley and the Four Seasons uh, with a relatively unknown cast commendably so as well, is up next. Um, it's the first Clint Eastwood musical since Paint Your Wagon. <laughs> so I hope this one is just as good. Uh, who wants to take this one? Well, happily, Clint doesn't actually sing this time, which is probably a good thing. Um, the yeah, the cast are kind of unknowns uh, in a film sense, but I think they've all performed in the show on Broadway. I think I'm right in saying they may not be the current cast, but they have all but in the one. past, all right? But one. So, um, and they're very, very good in terms. Of, there's nothing to to complain about here musically. Um, the uh, the film is basically, if you don't know, it's the story of Frankie Valli and the Four Seasons. They were kind of New Jersey, not quite hoods. They were just young men in a kind of working class area of New Jersey in the 1950s. They came together and made beautiful music, frankly. But along the way, you know, there were associations with the mob to try and get them the, the seed money, if you like, to get them started. And um, and later, as they started to get successful, there were gambling problems. There were huge debts. What's interesting about this story is like one of them ran up huge debts and they all paid them off. They were determined to act as a group and as a as a collective and, and it's that kind of collegial spirit that kind of carries you through this. Even when there are huge disagreements, even when they fall out, you know, there's there's still a kind of a love and a bond between them, which is which is what makes this story uh, the huge stage success it's already been and what I think helps make it work on screen as well. Um, the only really kind of star name in this is Christopher Walken, who appears as, as one of these gangsters who kind of helps them early on in a weird sort of a way. Um, but generally speaking, it's, it's pretty well played. It's just, and this isn't, I'm not sure it's anyone's fault, but it feels a little bit been there seen that it feels a little bit reminiscent of all those gangster movies that we've seen done by you know the incredible likes of Martin Scorsese so it's it it struggles to maybe feel as original as I think I wanted it to I don't know about you guys but speaking of which uh, Joe Pesci appears in the film as a character yes unfortunately it's not the actual Joe Pesci playing him that would have been amazing (laughs) if it had just been him with a a big wig on that's astonishing (laughs) him Um, as his younger self but yeah but he did know the four seasons so yeah it's 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 a really cool little detail uh, he always gets a big cheer, a big cheer in the stage as well. Bizarre. Amazing. Is there a sense that this isn't? There's more to this story that you're not really seeing. Well, I mean, I think that's true of anything, but it, it doesn't feel massively like the rough edges have been cut off. I mean, you see that you see them being bad husbands, bad fathers. You see the fallout um, to to one child in particular as a result of that. Um, so it's not it's not lacking in grit but I think what's the problem for the film adaptations they don't quite marry the grit to the glamour if you like and they don't quite you know it doesn't quite all hang together in that sense it doesn't quite feel like a coherent whole at times what's the best song oh 
Funny how Joe Pesci's tap dancing one. You kill someone with a microphone at the end of it. Okay, it's probably a what what a night, isn't it? But I mean, that's a bit that's a bit predictable. I'm trying to be cleverer, but no, yeah, I ain't uh, got it. So uh, anyway, we gave it three stars, which is a recommendation, but it's it's just not it, not quite as soaringly brilliant as you want it to be. Yeah, than I've seen, Edgar. yeah, I've seen a lot of uh, criticism of Clint's direction of this movie, and I'm gonna say something relatively controversial. I think his last few films have been all cut the same cloth, quite dull, quite frankly. And uh, this one looks to me like it could fall in the same category, which is a bit of a shame because it's meant to have a bit of pep and a bit of, you know, a bit of pesci and a little bit of jazz and rare. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't. It doesn't. Yeah, maybe needed just a little bit more pep. But it's not. It's not as dull as. It's not Invictus. Put it that way. <sighs> maybe it needs Bob Fosse. Oh, back from the grave. <laughs> just reminded me of if Invictus' existence. And yikes! All right, so three stars for Jersey Boys, which is a recommendation. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? Uh, okay, so next up we have Three Days to Kill, in which Kevin Costner does a Liam Neeson as an aging hard nut in a Luc Besson action film. He plays a CIA operative who has three days left to live, and rather than spending it going to Blackpool and just riding the roller coasters forever and ever, he tries to rescue his daughter, who's been kidnapped by Badens. So that's oh, that's the plot in a nutshell, basically. Uh, what do we think of this one, Philip? Hello. It's just it, well, it's another it's another sort of terminal illness movie. <laughs> it's the companion piece to Fortnite uh, Stars. Unusually, <laughs> yeah, it's like a thriller thriller version of the Fortnite Stars. Kevin Costner's character, as you say, he's sort of fallen on hard times. He's got this illness which is threatening his life, and the CIA the CIA are like, well, you've got you've got two options. One, do this job for us. We'll give you the meds you need. Two, really, you've got one option. We lied. <laughs> <laughs> And um, so he does it. So he heads off to Paris and does this thing. And, and what ensues is nothing we haven't seen before quite a lot. Even from within Luc Besson, the co-screenwriter's own Europe course, their Europa course stable, um, they seem to be turning out quite a lot of reasonably workmanlike thrillers that are hunting around for the, the sort of taken magic formula, you know, the thing that's going to make, that's going to resonate with audiences. But I think by Basil's own admission, there was no taking magic formula. It was just a film that kind of worked. And this one kind of doesn't. Costner's good enough as he goes, but his character is ill, which drains the film of a bit of dynamism. And uh, the the plot, sort of the family stuff, the, the, the daughter he's struggling with, Hayley Steinfeld seems to be getting those parts quite a lot at the moment. Mm. Amber Heard turns up as a glamorous CIA operative. And it's nothing, as I say, that, that, that hasn't been done before and done better. We directed gave it, by McGee. And let's, yes, let's of course, that. we should mention it's directed by McGee. But I mean, the reason I mentioned Based on First is it does feel like it's cut from the same cloth as, you know, The Family was that with comedy. Taken was the sort of the, the blueprint, the transporter movie. He's making a lot of these sorts of European thrillers. And I've got to say, he's probably three or four away from us needing to repopulate Paris because <laughs> there's a lot of sort of the usual car chases and, and shootouts, yeah. etc. Two stars, by the way. Two stars, yeah, sadly. Uh, which is a shame, because I really like Kevin Costner. And I feel that in the right vehicle, he could really do some damage as a, as, a, as an action hero, an aging action hero. But you know, Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. I, one of my favourite films is from of his is uh, No Way Out, and he's got, he can do this genre so well um, back then, and I think he can still do it now. Cool. So get the right material to him. Two stars for Three Days to Kill. Uh, and that is it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more from Lated Fun. We will be live, as I said, at the Edinburgh Film Festival. So it should be fun. Do join us in person if you can. As usual, there'll be hopefully some giveaways plenty and some big names as well in attendance. Until then, it's goodbye from Phil. No, well, you're not Phil. You're Helen. <laughs> Hi. Yes. Continuity's all over the place. You're Helen. Goodbye. Goodbye. Phil. 
Hello. Goodbye. Nick. Take care of yourself. Absolutely. And it's goodbye for me as well. I'm off to figure out how to stop Aaron Paul turning over my TV in the middle of friends. Until next week. See you.